0: When the Free State was founded, the government of the fledgling nation decided to spend one-fifth of our entire national income on building the country's first electricity generation station, the hydroelectric station at Ardnacrusha. Many people thought it was a reckless move, but it turned out to be an act of vision and bravery inspired by a belief that the country should be self-sufficient and forward-looking. Today our government faces a similar choice. Do we spend billions reconfiguring our electricity network so that we can move from dependence on imported gas and generate our own power from renewable sources? Are we prepared to pay the price both in terms of extra costs and the changes to our landscape, and if not, what price will our children and our grandchildren pay? In studio this morning, Ushin Smith is the Green Party councillor for Dunleary-Ratdown, Marie Hayden is scenario planner for Airgrid, and Dennis Duff is a founding member of Bene, the better environment with nuclear energy. But first on the line this morning is Eva Carlin, and she's a member of the Jago's Mills Action Group, established to stop the development of a 32-acre solar farm near Kinsale in County Cork. Good morning, Aoife. Good morning, Sarah. Um, so look, you know, we're trying to move towards renewable energy because everyone is so concerned about climate change and we've got targets to meet. And I can understand people concerned about wind turbines and pylons because there's such a blot in the landscape and the turbines can be noisy. But a solar farm seems relatively innocuous in
1: comparison why
0: are you opposed to it?
1: Well, I think you know, I, I should um firstly say that as a group we're not opposed to um renewable energy or solar farms. Um you know, I think coming from an area that is um prone to flooding and as a red, um, recognized kind of flooding area here in Cork, we're acutely aware of the need for um and the urgency of the um the climate challenge, and are fully supportive of both the Paris Agreement, of you know the government's, um, t- you know the achievement of the government's targets, and you know we're actually you know supportive of, um, the move towards renewable energy, um, and you know of solar farms. Um, I think that you know as a community, um, we feel that you know in this case that site that site selection is is wrong. Um, and, you know, our learning from the entire process was that without the proper guidelines in place, that solar farms could be sighted, um incorrectly throughout the country um, okay, without so where, solar-specific policies.
0: Sorry, so what is wrong, do you think, with um, this location? And where do you think they should be located?
1: Well, I think in terms of our own um, site here in Farm Galway um, there were a number of concerns, and you know I know that you had had referred to the fact that, you know, what's wrong with, with solar farms. you know there is potential visual impact, and I know the industry will say that with you know, with screening that this can be mitigated and and we agree with that, but um you know in our own case, the topography of the site and um, you know, kind of deems all of the kind of the mitigating screening kind of really kind of um irrelevant because. Of the topography of the site, um, we do have a number of, um, you know, I suppose kind of there's 14 houses directly adjacent to the proposed site and, um, you know, another kind of 28 houses within 50 metres. You know, we would con- have concerns about proximity of you know, what we would theme as kind of an industrial development, you know, to like rural residential housing. Um there are also kind of a number of concerns in relation to the flooding and runoff from the solar panels. Now I know that the county council has proposed a flooding solution, but you know it hasn't been tested yet. You know, and this is already kind of an area that floods, um, you know, regularly, um, and you know there are also concerns about you know, glint and glare. You know, one of the original proposals for the site saw the solar farm coming right down onto the ore 607, which is a main artery in and out of conceal. And I um, mm-hmm. suppose kind of um, through the various kind of phases of the application, the solar panels were removed from that area. That's the, the site kind of directly um, adjacent to the road, which we would see as an acknowledgement an that there is Potential glint and potential glint and glare issue. Right, but, but is that there... was ignored in relation to the houses directly south of the site?
0: But is the problem in Ireland that because we've have this system whereby there is, are loads of houses in rural Ireland that you're never going to get a site where there are no houses around, and we may just have to accept a changing landscape if we are to. Get renewable sources of energy. So there's no point saying, "Yeah, I'm in favour of the Paris Agreement, but the classic, not in my backyard."
1: Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that you can um, accuse our group of NIMBYism um, because I think that without the proper planning legislation in place, these the solar farm can potentially be sited anywhere. And um, so you, know, it's not a case of not in my backyard. You, know, we do think that the site selection is wrong in this case. But we also are advocating, and even though it doesn't impact the decision in our case, planning has been granted both by the County Council and on board planola. But you know, we would um, we are continuing to campaign for planning guidelines because we think that you know, there needs to be more responsibility in relation to the, p- the siting of the solar farms. And there are alternatives to Where? rural agricultural land. Where? Um, if you look to the UK, um, they would advocate, you know, the UK guidelines, Highlights that there is the potential of citing him on marginal land, brownfield sites, landfill that has completely been filled over, and um, you know, you know, also rooftops. You know, I, I think that's kind of one one area that hasn't kind of been mentioned here. You know, if you look at in uh, rooftops of commercial and industrial buildings, and um, you you know, rooftops even of you know, homes as well. And um, you know, there there are alternatives to to just to agriculture and land, but also within looking at agriculture and land, there are the UK actually grades agriculture and land in the UK and recommends that lower tier grad um, agricultural land is used so that top tier agricultural land isn't you know, lost per se. And um, you know, you know, none of that exists here. And um, there is you know, there's not that specific- specificity in the planning guidelines with regard to solar farms and looking at sites.
0: Okay, Eva, I will let you go and we'll um, take those points into our discussion now. Um, thanks a million for joining us this morning. Um, Marie Hayden from Airgrid, um, before we get into all the stuff about new technology, we were chatting before the programme and I think it probably is worthwhile just going back and reflecting a little bit, reflecting a little on when rural electrification, when that project first began. And I believe your father was involved in it back then. My mother, who lived in Cavan, uh, uh, came from one of the last parishes in the country that was electrified. And the reason was because enough people wouldn't agree to it. A certain number of people in each area had to agree to it. It was very divisive back then.
2: Oh, good morning, sir. Yes, yeah. uh, you're right. My father did work in rural electrification uh, for the ESB back in the 50s and even into the 60s, I think. And in fact, Cavan was one of the areas that he was responsible for. And I think we all look back at rural electrification as an incredible transformation project in Ireland, and probably the cornerstone of the modern economy of Ireland as well. Uh, and it was a real success story from that perspective, but in, it wasn't without its own problems either. And sometimes we might romanticise how rural electrification was rolled out. Uh, and I know that there were parishes and areas and localities where you know uh, it wasn't a welcome, uh, it wasn't a welcome intrusion into the parishes. And as you say. People had to have enough money to be able to afford it, and uh, there was a lot of poverty in the country at the time. Uh, so that was kind of divisive in its own way. Um, so it wasn't without its own problems then either. Uh, but we do tend to look back at it as a major success.
0: Um, so Oshin Smith, do you see any parallels here that um, say going back to Ardna and the yeah, state I'm, saying? I mean, I'm
3: just, I'm just thinking. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm from Dunleary and the, you know, the railway line that goes out to Dunleary from Dublin city centre is one of the first in the country. Uh, well, celebrated, but if you look back in history, when it came out first, it it didn't quite get to Dunleary because the landowners blocked it from arriving because they didn't want it to ruin the town. Yeah. So you know, there there uh, there is, I suppose, a history of uh, of people looking at projects and being being uh, you know be, being being suspicious. And I think that you know, Aoife was on the phone there talking about. Uh, the the solar farm and the correct location. And she's absolutely right. You know, there there are no guidelines at all about where to put this, where to put the farm. There there should be some guidelines. And, you know, on, on any large infrastructure project, of course the locals are going to have an input and they're going to have special no- local knowledge that other people in a drawing office somewhere else in a city are not going to have. So you really, you do need to engage with protesters and it's too easy to stereotype them as NIMBYs. Like you use the word NIMBY, mm. not in my backyard. And, you know, it, it, it goes beyond that. You're living next to some huge facility that's going to be built and you know that that area floods every couple of years and the person who's designed it doesn't know that and you have a right to contribute to that process and to take part in it.
0: Yeah, but isn't it though more than that? And I take, your point, but people just don't want to look at this stuff. They want their electricity to come from somewhere, but they don't like pylons. They don't like turbines. They don't want to look at um, solar farms. So it is maybe ambien- what they do isn't. want.
3: They want solar panels on their own roof, cre- generating their own electricity. And it's really hard to do that. I'm not going to blame the lady beside me. It's not, not your fault. But it, it, like we, we don't have the regulatory structure for that. So it's really hard for somebody to go out, buy a solar panel, get it installed in their house and generate their own electricity, which they would love to do. And instead, I guess in Ireland, we, you know, looking at Ardnachrusha, Armenia was a huge, massive national project, and we have an idea that you have a problem. Let's just make a billion-dollar project that you know that, that solves all the problem, and let's draw it all up, and let's get foreign money and whatever. And we don't really have an approach to solving problems that involves. OK, what about if everybody contributed in some way? What if everybody had a solar panel? What if we had a sort of a democratisation of energy and people were all generating their own? It's quite hard to look at that. Like even, say for example, Irish water. Irish water wants to provide enough water for Dublin and their idea is drain the Shannon. You know, a yeah. billion dollar project, desalination plant or, or you know, perhaps a pipe coming across the country. They, they wouldn't say, for example... Uh, perhaps if everybody in the country and everybody in the city was saving water uh, you know if we were flushing our toilets of the water that fell on our roofs we could do it that way because that's a kind of an individual yeah, well, democratised I know well. yeah
0: they tried that with uh, water rates it didn't work out <laughs> too well so look what I want to do is we'll come back and go through each of the proposed projects and see what's economically viable but Dennis stuff before we do that just to go back to that issue of bringing the people with you and you know persistent protests and objections to everything that's proposed. Um, what's your view on that? Is it just inevitable and, and you have to get on with it? Or is there any way to really bring the people with you?
4: Well, I think you've said it there, there's, Sarah, that protests at the moment, they're, they're just, just, just a fact of life and we have to get used to them. We have to educate people as regards what we're trying to do. We've got to start a long time before day one. So it's got education and uh, getting people used to, to the idea. You mentioned something very interesting about Arden Crush and we put in the infrastructure over the over the following uh, fifty years. That infrastructure is still there and it still works. Uh, we have a choice. We could uh, replace the existing power stations with low carbon power stations and use the existing infrastructure. If the if the the cables need to be increased in size, we can do that. Money Point is a great example of that. It's a uh, at the moment, the power station there can carry nine, can export 900 megawatts worth of power. But I understand that the two lines from Money Point up to the east coast can handle up to 1,400 megawatts. So we could replace Money Point with a larger, low-carbon um, facility, and that would then avoid some of the of the more intrusive uh, developments that are coming closer to people. As you said, we've got a wide population. There's, there are, few parts of the country that don't have people living near them so we could we could avoid that if we want it's a, it's a, it's a choice
0: Okay and so well, we'll start going through each of the options but Marie maybe you would kick us off so um, so, so what is available to us what is the menu and what's actually being considered uh, to be rolled out um, by Airgrid Well I suppose Just to clarify,
2: AirGrid itself doesn't sort of build generation or uh, own generation facilities. So we just provide the infrastructure to allow electricity to be used and generated. Um, And part of that process, we've just recently published our report, uh, Tomorrow's Energy Scenarios. And that tries to predict into the future how the usage of electricity is going to change. And I suppose one of the key messages we see in that report is when we look across all the scenarios we've examined, we see that the demand for electricity is going to increase. Um, across the board. And we see that being anything between 25 and 50% between now and 2030. And some of that is driven by consumers, you know, changing to electric vehicles or heat pumps and uh, heating their home with electricity. And some of it is through industries uh, expanding, existing industries expanding. And we also see the connection of data centres onto the grid. Mm -hmm. So I suppose the first thing is we're seeing that there is definitely going to be uh, some form of increase in the amount of electricity that's used. Um, And then when we look at things like the 2020 targets for or uh, RESI for renewable energy and 2030 uh, targets at an EU level and 2050 commitments under Paris, um, basically all of that increase in electricity is really going to have to come, if not entirely, largely from renewable energy sources or low carbon sources. Uh, so this debate is is, is essential and, and making good plans to address those needs are essential as well. I think, you know, taking Ushin's uh, point there, you know, there's a mixture of technologies out there and there's a mixture of scale of solutions as well so at the moment probably the number one technology that's used in ireland for generational renewable electricity is wind Um, about 25 percent of our electricity last year came from renewable with most of that coming from wind onshore wind farms now onshore wind farms are probably um, going to be exhausted in 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 the near future in terms of the available land sites so we have to look at other alternatives one of them would be offshore we have an enormous offshore renewable energy resource and we could put build wind turbines offshore and we have a fledgling industry in examining ocean and marine technology. So uh, offshore wind would look like one of the one of the solutions if you're looking at large scale developments. Solar obviously has a place here in Ireland as well, uh, even though it doesn't feel like it some days. Yeah. Uh, there is a, quite a good resource of solar um, and that needs to be explored as well. And then you can look at some of the more conventional ways of generating electricity, such as large-scale power stations like Money Point that um, Dennis referred to there, and how can you uh, use those types of fossil fuels in a low-carbon-emitting way. Um, and I think there's a future for a certain amount of that as well. So there's a lot of different technologies out there and some are more mature and some are more cost effective than others.
0: Now, so I had a conversation with Sean Duke, the science journalist and Quentin Gargan, who works in the solar field down at the Galway Arts Festival about this. And, um, and Sean Duke was making the point that if we go towards renewables and Anushin was referring to earlier, the idea that you can have a distributed system of generation so instead of the one big station you have maybe communities could have their wind farm and people would have solar panels on their house and they might have excess electricity that they could sell back into the grid that we could have small biomass um, units but that all means you have to change the configuration of the network from one that distributes to one that c- collects I hope I'm not yeah. speaking in too much of a, a rookie fashion and that's going to cost a fortune. So What kind of numbers are we talking about? And what kind of additional infrastructure in terms of transmission stations or more pylons are we talking about?
2: I think it depends very much on what types of solutions we go for. So as Dennis said, if we use existing infrastructure and, and develop brownfield sites, then that can have a real help to minimising the construction of any new assets. But also, um, I, I think a very distributed system where there's a lot of um, household participation in in, in self-consumption, I suppose, or self-generation, doesn't necessarily have a big infrastructure impact. So um, this doesn't all mean more wires or or more investment. It it means smart solutions. It means a lot of technology. uh, A lot of computers and communication facilities are required. And there's a lot of innovation ongoing, but a lot more required to get us to the point where we can have a power system that works uh, on the island as a whole. Uh, but at the same time have individuals interacting with that power system. And there's a lot of challenges there. Um, And I think that the thing to do with all of this is is everything in moderation. It's like anything in life, Sarah. You know, you really have to look at all of the solutions and use a bit of everything and the best of everything that's available. So we don't have to do this in a very large investment, complete change out of the entire grid. That's not what's required. Um, I think we can use a lot of what's there. I think we do need to increase our interconnection with the Great Britain and with, with mm-hmm. European grids uh, to get the most out of the uh, resources we have because Ireland does actually have excellent renewable energy resources and we can export that as a commodity as well. So, you know, we need to look at that as a business opportunity as well. as just a, a self-sufficiency issue.
0: Yes. Yeah, so with the interconnectors, we can sell it into the grid when we've too much and mm-hmm. then import it when we don't have enough. So, um, Oshin Smith, so go back to that point you were making about uh, you know, I know we've talked about it before, say wind farms, where there's a big company comes in and they're setting up a wind farm. And you think there mightn't be as much opposition if local communities were more involved. Explain to me a business model whereby that would work.
3: Yeah, so I mean, well, the the best model is Denmark where the, the standard thing is that if you want to build a wind farm, you have to prove that a portion of that is owned locally. So you you would have to make sure that 15 or 20% was owned uh, owned, owned locally. So you have to go out and you have to engage people. And then people who live in the town say... That's our wind farm. You know, they look out the window and they say that, that that belongs to our farm. It's not sort of General Electric or whoever, you know. So encouragement towards people to have a sense of, Is, of ownership. And rural people are used to tractors at six in the morning and animals making noise and all the infrastructure that goes with. with but they know that it's theirs and it's part of their local area.
0: Yeah, but again, it does that go back to the rural electrification? And I think someone before the show was mentioning um, an area where a community did try to get together to have a wind farm. But someone objected. You it's know, to, you're to, always at the it's mercy. Too, it's
3: too easy to stereotype. You know, but rural that's not stereotype. That's being reality.
0: Uh, you know, and it's not about rural communities. Not, urban a, a, communities. Yeah. Like, look what the. So ur-
3: it's not always possible to. It's not always possible yeah. to get local agreement. But you do yeah. it. You can. I mean, the question is, you know, it's great to hear Airgrid saying that you can actually um, people could locally generate electricity without having massive upgrades to the, to the network yeah. but the question is for you or for somebody who's, somebody who's listening if you want to put a solar panel on your roof what is the thing that's in the way of, of you doing that? Well
0: I'll tell you exactly because so I like, looked yeah, at Sarah, it So Sarah why would you not do Cost, it? Cost Cost That right now it looked I, with the price that was given me for doing it it looked to me like it was going to take me so long to get the money back mm-hmm. on it it actually wasn't worth it mm-hmm. and, and I've been told after some research you know what if you wait the technology's getting better and cheaper Mm-hmm. And that while Ireland has been behind the curves, say, particularly on Germany, mm-hmm. prevarication may be our friend. So yeah. I'm going to wait. It's yeah. like an iPhone, you know. So yeah. one of the
3: problems is, as you said, is, yeah. is just the money. Like, can you not get the credit? And obviously, you know, this is a country where a lot of people don't have credit or have bad memories of, of what happens when they, when they borrow money. So I think that's, that is a clear place for, for the state to step in and say, OK, um, we'll lend you money for for solar panels because we know that you're going to get the money back, right? It's a very safe thing because you're putting it on someone's roof; they're not going to run away, or else to direct the electricity companies to say you must lend money from your from your cash pile to your customers to put ale- to put um, solar panels on their roofs, and they will pay you back from the savings that they make on their electricity bills. Now, you know, you're saying it's a it's a poor return on investment. It's typically something like seven percent. You cannot get seven percent in the bank. Imagine if you're electricity and you have money on deposit. How much money do you think you can... How much interest do you think you can make on your gas? So why not lend it to your customers, put solar panels on their roofs? Okay. So that that takes a little bit of... Uh, regulation and it takes a bit of national policy to get. That
0: okay, out. two things. Someone did say to me, but Sarah, your return is not in the money. Your return is supposed to be in the feeling that you're not adding to climate change. So that take that into account too. But what about the waiting argument? You haven't addressed that. That yeah, yeah. waiting might be smarter.
3: Yeah, you know, um, you could say that. You could say that you should never ever buy a car or you should never ever buy a mobile phone because next year it'll be cheaper yeah. and then you'll never have one before you die. You know. So I mean that that <laughs> that, that, that approach. That approach. We have we've got to a stage where. Solar panels are now a fifth or a tenth of what they were ten years ago. Exactly. So, so the price has come down so far that this is a brilliant time to, to start it. We have we have skipped a whole lot of expensive stuff that could have happened. Like this is a great time, obviously, to get a solar panel. But one thing that you do need is, if you're buying a solar panel, you put it on your roof. It's generating all this electricity. You go off to work. You go to school, and you can't use it because you can't sell it back into the grid. So we need to have our electricity companies told you must accept electricity being sold back by your customers to you and they have no interest in doing this right so they need to be directed by the state they only they only exist at the at the pleasure of the state that regulates them up to the hilt so the state has to say you know electricity or, or electric ireland or whatever you are you must accept you must buy back some some electricity and it would be the commission for for energy regulation that would set the price. And in that that case then you could be at work your solar panel is generating some money for you and that helps with your return on investment. And
0: then I'd feel even better again. Okay, I have to take a quick break and when we come back we'll be talking about nuclear energy. We're talking about the possibility this morning that Ireland could generate all its own energy from renewable sources thus saving the planet and our dependence on importing Gas. In studio with me, Oshin Smith is the Green Party councillor for Dunleary-Ratdown. Marie Hayden is scenario planner for Airgrid. And Dennis Duff is a founding member of BENE, the Better Environment with Nuclear Energy, which he's going to talk about in a minute. But first, Dennis, you wanted to make a point that we were talking about before the break about how we might need to change the grid to allow people to sell their excess energy from their personal wind turbine or solar panel back into the grid.
4: Yeah, I think yeah. Oshin was mentioning about the point about... Uh, how the electricity companies and the state perhaps should, uh, should sponsor or uh, uh, subsidise solar energy. And that's, that's, that's a great idea, uh, it certainly is. But there's a there's certain, that's just the economic argument. There's a technical argument as well in that, um, as, as Marie would well know, um, we, we can't incorporate much more intermittent renewable energy on the system. Th- more than we're actually currently planning to do. So the technical argument. at the moment, I think Airgrid have managed to change around the whole uh, the electricity tran- uh, generation and transmission system to such an extent now that we are the world leaders at integrating intermittent renewables into our, into our electricity system, and it's wonderful. The, the Why is that
0: a challenge?
4: Because um, it's 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 to do. There's a there's a, a there's a number of issues. When the wind doesn't blow, mm. and when the sun isn't shining, you don't have you don't have energy the the of electricity and this is this argument today is all about electricity we haven't we haven't touched on energy per se but uh, in the event that, say, for instance, that the wind just tends to drop a little bit quicker than than you than you expected, you have to have other generation on top to be able to replace that. And there's a technical limit at the moment. I think it's something like fifty five or sixty percent that we can allow of wind generation and interconnection to form as part of our overall demand. The rest of it must be made up by bigger generators that are able to take up the slack in the event of a cloud coming over the, the country or the or the wind dropping.
0: Is that the one of the big problems with renewables? Is that you need that backup. No matter how much wind energy you have, you must always have a backup in case of a slow day.
4: Yes, it is. Um, now there are solutions. It doesn't necessarily have to be fossil-fired generators. You can have low-fired large generators, or you can have a system of energy storage. But we don't have them either, and they are they're more expensive. But I think the climate change issue is so big. As well. You yeah. can have interconnection yeah. uh, if you're already in uh, importing on the interconnector to, to to the full extent. You can't then. In, 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 they're limited in size. It's like the M50. If it's blocked, it's blocked.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, nuclear. So I know, I think it, uh, technically in this country, in the doll, I think they're not even allowed to discuss nuclear or something like that. With ah, some, it's with not some as bad as b- that.
3: It's not as bad as that.
0: <laughs> but it's, there is some ban on, um, on, ev- on... It's against
3: the law to generate nuclear, air energy in, in Ireland. Okay. Yeah,
4: and, 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 and it's against the law to, to build a nuclear power station as well. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case somebody you know, was going to generate building their it. <laughs> yes, that, that's <laughs> important. But it's also against the law to store large uh, uh, carbon dioxide underground for the carbon you know, the, the carbon capture and storage plans. But we are discussing that, for instance, it's, it's in the National Mitigation Plan. Okay. It's equally illegal but it's, it's being discussed. So Nuclear's not being discussed.
0: Right, so take us through nuclear and then you can tell us about the carbon dioxide one. Why would we want a nuclear power station? Well, why
4: would... Let's see, uh, uh, I think in Ireland for years we've had an anti-nuclear uh, opinion since we rejected Cairnsour Point. Uh, we were going to put in a plant, 690 megawatt plant, which in fact they put in the same plant into Slovenia in a town called Kirsko. And in the meantime, it's produced almost zero uh, carbon dioxide emissions. But we built Money Point instead and it has produced over 140 million tonnes of CO2 in the interim. So that, I, from, from a climate point of view, I don't think that was a very good good idea. And because we're so anti-nuclear on the grounds of maybe cost, size, meltdowns, explosions, waste, you you name it, there's there's, there's probably five or six um, main reasons. We're not actually looking at nuclear. And there are huge developments taking place in nuclear as a result of the accidents that that have happened in Chernobyl and uh, Fukushima. And we're not aware of the developments that that are coming about in particularly small nuclear reactors. Uh, there's, there's one, now it's, it's, it's been run by a British company with Irish involvement called Maltex Energy they operate on molten salt, that's just melted salt, it's mainly table salt, sodium chloride but it also has salts of uranium and plutonium in there, uranium chloride, imagine that imagine putting that on your chips but, <laughs> you know, but this operates in a melted in a melted situation because the, the salt melts at 450 degrees centigrade and this operates at 550, so you can't have a meltdown because the fuel is designed to operate in a meltdown situation
0: Oh, right? right, okay. It
4: operates at atmospheric uh, pressure, so it's not going to explode.
0: And what about the waste when it comes to that?
4: And well, this is part of the beauty of this, in that these reactors can actually use existing nuclear waste as their source fuel.
0: Oh, okay, okay? right. And
4: whereas the um, the existing nuclear waste can can last for hundreds of thousands of years in a radioactive manner, by the way, that's not dangerous. Yeah. Because if something was really very radioactive, it would break down much quicker. So the longer it stays radioactive, the less radioactive it is. Oh, okay. Okay. Just to clear that one up. Yeah. Um. So it uh, it turns the the, the radioactive way. It actually uses that radioactive waste as a source fuel, and it gets energy from that. And it then after three hundred years of that particular waste from that particular power station. Is no more radioactive than the ore from which the uranium came in the first place.
0: No, I mean I understand that as things stand, we're probably importing nuclear energy from France. I think, yeah, well, Maurice, from Britain, yeah, for, yeah, from Britain. And uh, but meanwhile, in Germany they started closing down their nuclear plants. Now, I think, oh, maybe it's them ended up importing it from France. What is happening on the continent? What is the trend? Is it investment and building those new modern plants or is it just shutting down and trying to move to renewables?
4: Well, there is a mix on the continent. Some countries are shutting down their their, their nuclear programs. You mentioned Germany. As a result, then, of course, their emissions have gone up. So that wasn't really very good to do from the environment. Uh, France still continues to generate about 70% of its electricity from nuclear but it's planning on reducing that percentage to 50%. Now as Marie already said because electricity usage is going to go up in time they won't actually be reducing their megawatt outage uh, megawatt capacity but just the percentage of it will drop to 50% and that's the plan. It's envisaged that they will probably change that plan Germany will probably change that plan Uh, Sweden and Finland and France are building nuclear power plants Britain is about to build more nuclear power plants. So there's a mix of...
0: Now, tell me about that carbon dioxide thing you were talking about there as well, burying carbon dioxide. Oh,
4: yes. This is where you might get a biomass plant or a a fossil fuel plant. A
0: biomass. These are kind of grasses and things. Grasses and woods.
4: Things that grow on the ground. You cut them down, bring them to the power station, mainly trees, chopped up trees, perhaps from the eastern seaboard of the United States. Ship it across to Money Point. And is that not
0: bad, burning trees?
4: Uh, well, people make the argument that you uh, you're, you're burn the trees, you're letting the carbon dioxide out into the atmosphere yeah. and then it's taken up by more trees and you replace the trees. It's not quite as, as, as simple as that. There are a lot of environmental groups now who are anti-large scale biomass. Yeah. And also what people m- might consider with the biomass is that when you burn the biomass, it's in hot air and it produces nitrogen oxides. The NOx is the same NOx that we're afraid of from the diesel cars that's causing us to reduce our diesels in towns and cities, it also produces particulate matter. 2.5 p.m. 10, which are uh, get into your lungs, and they're the they're, they're very small particles, and they can cause damage in, in the lungs, and it has so it has an air quality issue as well. But that's not to say what we could do is we could perhaps take the carbon dioxide from the waste from the from the gases of that of that biomass and compress the gases, uh, compress CO2, and store it underground somewhere. Mm. If we chose money point as a biomass option, which I think ESB is looking at, we would then probably have to pipe that high pressure CO2 underground, perhaps over now, maybe bury it in, can sail into the old gas fields and hope it doesn't get out. Oh, it stays CO2 yeah. forever.
0: I can see objections to that. Really? Uh, <laughs> um Marie, what about a cost and all of this? Like what are the more economically viable options? For instance, you mentioned offshore wind there. The last thing I read about that was it's very expensive. Building turbines out there and preventing them from being corroded by salt water. Um, is is really expensive. Talk me through the economics of those. Uh,
2: I suppose the economics at the moment on the various renewable technologies uh, that are widely in use would say that onshore wind uh, in a country like Ireland where there's a lot of wind resource would probably be the most economic of the main uh, renewable energy technologies. The offshore wind has been... Traditionally, maybe three times the cost, but it's come way down now in recent years. And we're seeing very low prices being bid in auctions for offshore wind in Germany and in Denmark. Um, So I think the technology behind the offshore wind is much more advanced than it was a number of years ago. And the ability to put offshore wind turbines in the sea and not suffer all that corrosion issues... Uh, has really improved. And a lot of uh, learnings from the oil and gas industry about how to float wind turbines and floating platforms has now been investigated. So so the cost of offshore renewable is, is coming down quite a lot. And uh, it, it, it certainly could be a reasonably economic, viable alternative uh, in Ireland, maybe in five, ten years' time, maybe not right away. Um, onshore, the other uh, technology would be the solar. Mm-hmm. and um, the solar prices are coming down a lot so as you mentioned earlier on this is a good time to buy solar i probably uh, slightly disagree and say give it another few years I think there's another a, a little bit more price to come down but they have come down enormously I think it's is it 90% or something mm-hmm. that they've dropped in the last 10 years so it's it's, it's, been, it's great that we didn't install them 10 years ago I think we could probably wait another couple of years and make them even more economically viable um, but it should probably take that long for us to be able to get through all of the <laughs> the yes. processes be it the subsidy processes of the, uh, the policy and what incentives And
0: about sightings off the solar farms Mm. you know is it a legitimate point look we have an Irish landscape we expect to look out at green fields that does grow food you know which is a good idea and you know that we have our tourism Mm -hmm. where should solar farms be located well that's a tricky tricky question because I I presume if you go into an industrial area the land is much more expensive and therefore that reduces its viability.
2: I mean it seems that most of the people who are looking to build solar are looking to build it along the south southeast and southwest coasts where the best resources are in rural areas on on rural land which isn't um you know I think even the IFA have come out and supported that the you know putting solar onto agricultural land is okay. I think um you know, talking about the landscape is a very emotive subject. You know, I mean Dennis here used to work in Pool Bag Power Station and he he knows as well as anybody else. Look, like, try to put those chimneys up today, they wouldn't nobody would allow you to put them up. Try and take them down, nobody'll allow you to take them down. Which is so, the
0: row about the incinerator, well, you know. Yeah, exactly which I've oh, seen urban people objected to, not just rural people object
2: <laughs> to so <laughs> yeah. you know, so I think sighting, like sighting is it's a really important thing that we get this right. And I, I think we all agree here very strongly with what Eva said. There needs to be planning guidelines on something like solar. There's a huge Huge interest in putting solar right across this country Uh, and you probably see thousands of applications going in for constructing solar farms so there really do need to be planning guidelines and I think we totally agree with Aoife on that uh, to help guide developers to pick the right sites and to work with the communities and make sure that they're in the right place.
0: what is the regulatory framework Um, and, and so you were saying at the start of the program you know specifically in what AirGrid's role is I mean, do you put in position papers and suggestions to the department as to what you think is a good idea? You know what what's your interaction with government on all of this?
2: I think the interaction we would have with government is sort of providing information that we we would have knowledge of and particularly on how to operate the power system. That would be the one area we'd probably have a very specific expertise. Dennis mentioned there are technical limits to how much solar and wind can be on the power system at any point in time. That's probably an expertise that airgrid ha- holds and and shares with the department and as as uh, Dennis mentioned and we're very proud of it, you know in Ireland we're very world leading in that piece of work. so, uh, that's the main contribution we would make. Um, you know, there's a, an, an enormous plethora of resources out there that will talk about the economics of different technologies. We don't have any unique expertise on that. Um, we, so the kind of interactions we would have is maybe pulling the information together. So I think if you look at, say, the Tomorrow's Energy Scenarios report, we consulted with hundreds of uh, experts in their own fields about what's going to happen with renewable tele- onshore wind, offshore wind, solar, uh, gas, carbon capture storage, all of these technologies and try to predict how this may uh, roll out over the next 15 to 20 years. And we've published that report. And, and the reason we were doing that, we were doing it for our own purposes, because we have to plan and develop a grid that can uh, cope with all of this uncertainty. Um but we just wanted to get that expertise
0: externally to help us do that. We're talking about our energy future in Ireland and how we are going to generate enough electricity for all our needs and preferably from renewable sources or carbon Low carbon, that's what Dennis Duff is telling me is the correct term. He's the founding member of Better Environment with Nuclear Energy, also in studio with me. Marie Marie Hayden, scenario planner for AirGrid, and Oshin Smith, Green Party councillor for Dunleary Ratdown. Oshin, uh, Marie was talking there before the break about different scenarios, and you have a question for yeah, her. Yeah,
3: so I mean, one, one of the things uh, we've done in Ireland is to connect our electricity grid to the UK, and it goes through the north and it also goes across the Irish Sea. And that means that if we have extra uh, energy or extra electricity we can we can offload it we can sell it and vice versa so it's you know it's good for both of us but now with Brexit um it may be difficult to connect to the UK and I think there's for a long time there's been a plan to put a cable that connects directly between sort of Lair and La Havre along along that that route that the ferry takes and um I think it's becoming now something that we really need to need to accelerate and look can we connect our our, um, our electricity grid directly to the European grid through France rather than having to piggyback through the UK so it's great to have Marie in studio here yeah. from Airgrid and she can tell us directly uh, you know how is that project going and you know are, is, is that something that's still on the cards or are we, are, are we 5, 10, 15 years away or what?
2: So the project is very actively ongoing. Um, it's been a joint project between AirGrid and ORTE, which is the name of the AirGrid's equivalent in France. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not, And not a competing <laughs> radio station. <Okay. laughs> um, so that's a 50-50 joint venture pro- uh, project, which at this stage is going through all of what we'd call the feasibility assessment. So looking at the feasibility of the route across the sea and whether or not there's a a, a route across uh, what's a fairly complex landscape uh, under the water. And also looking at whether or not there's an overall cost benefit to this project, both for Ireland and for France. Um, It it is a substantial economic investment, so it needs to to make sense. But I think um, you're right that Brexit does put a renewed focus on us being connected to another country that is in the EU. I don't think there's anything preventing us continuing to trade electricity with Great Britain, but we'll have to see how that plays out in the Brexit negotiations, but it's definitely a big advantage to be connected to another European Union country. Uh, you asked about timelines, I suppose, assuming it goes through all the various hurdles and, and proves to be the right project to invest in at this time, there's no reason why it wouldn't couldn't be in service by maybe 2025. That's the kind of time, uh, lead time which it takes. About the
3: time, which is about the, the time that the, the large coal power station in Clare is, is due to shut down, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, the I think uh, there's a lot of discussion around what's going to happen in Money Point uh, mm. and when, when it might shut down or where, certainly when it might cease burning coal twenty twenty five isn't a bad year to pick and same with all the peat burning stations in the Midlands. So they, they're gonna shut
3: down by twenty twenty five, yeah. And yeah. I
2: think I mean they, they are you know quite
0: toxic for the carbon so the environment is, as well. And, and so what jobs will those Oisin. people have, it, you know, <laughs> Yeah, so we'll come know. back to Dennis on replacing money point. Ushin, mm. what I want to come to you is and what is the government policy landscape at the moment? You know, what voices do they seem to be listening to? Is there a national policy? We've heard a lot that there seems to be no policy on guidelines as to, for example, the location of solar farms. What yeah. are you seeing?
3: Well, we, we have a, a department for climate action, which is great because action, you know, it's not just talking. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you actually see the actions they're taking, they, um, they're looking for people to, to explore for more oil off the coast of, uh, of Cork and, you know, so issuing licences for exploration. They're looking at putting a, a liquid natural gas terminal in Cork Perhaps in Shannon, the transshipment point for So it's all, you know, there's a, there's a lot of action around um, a fossil fuel future. And I think that, you know, people of, of my age, I'm in my mid 40s, I grew up with Dallas, you know, on TV. And I think there's an idea that, um, you know, money is all about uh, striking oil. And, uh, you know, money comes out of the ground. And that's what money's about. It's about uh, getting oil and gas and getting getting those kind of resources. That's where the real cash is. And if Ireland could strike a strike oil, we'd be a rich country. And I think that kind of mentality is still in the senior levels of, of the civil service and the, the politicians. They've got that idea that that's, that's where the real cash is. Are you being is.
0: fair now? They're not here to defend no, themselves. No,
3: I, I, I really think that that's a general feeling amongst most politicians and civil servants of all persuasions and parties is that they, they, they believe that fossil fuels make a lot of money for the country and they should chase it and they don't believe that there's any economic future really in renewables and that's really something that you lose money on. Okay it's, it's but kind of how does that
0: square with the fact that we are using so much now wind energy and, it, you know, and as Marie has said we are becoming a world leader in this so the action has been all these wind farms and the generation of wind energy
3: certainly that we we've, we've we've we have some wind energy it's great yeah. we have some wind farms but we are going to massively uh, we're going to massively miss our targets for for emissions reduction we're going to miss our renewable energy targets and we're going to pay fines and we've done so much worse than, for example, Britain. You know, Britain does not have as much land as we have per capita. They they are a much denser country. It's been much harder for them to, to generate renewable energy. They have gone so much further than we have. And we look at them and really that's 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 been a mentality. That's OK,
0: so let's go back to Dennis then, because what Britain does have are nuclear power stations. So talk us through Money Point if we replaced it with a small nuclear power plant. What is the feasibility of it, both economically and, well, culturally? Politically. <laughs> yeah. And politically? Yeah.
4: Yes, uh, and I think we, we, we discussed about what our plan is. The government only last month reduced produced a national mitigation plan. And uh, what's in, that? Involving the Department of Climate uh, Action, the Department of the Environment and Local Government and Housing, the Department of Agriculture, and, sorry, I've forgotten, uh, the Department of the Environment, right. perhaps. And um, but it's a really good document. It's open, it's honest. It actually says we don't know what the solutions are Tell us, we're going to meet. We're going to have dialogues about what we need to do. It recognises that we're not going to hit our targets, uh, but uh, they have actually on money point. They've uh, they've agreed that the Department of Climate Action will look at the replacement options for money point, and they will discuss all low carbon options. Now, I presume that includes nuclear energy, although nuclear isn't mentioned in the in in the plan, but nuclear is low carbon. And to, when they're looking at at nuclear. They will be looking to say, well, what were the objections before? We've already discussed that these new plants can't melt down, they cannot explode, they use existing waste, and their waste, their own waste product is much less uh, sh- uh, long-lived than, than than the other waste. Um, size, they're ideally sized for Ireland. They're smaller than a lot of the stations that we are, that we already have in, in Ireland. They're really reliable, and uh, the cost is the other issue that that I'm, that I'm going to look at. Um, if we got rid of the, those problems and people are still anti-nuclear, well then it, because nuclear has such good carbon and uh, environmental aspects to it, I think if you're still anti-nuclear with all those problems gone, then you're part of the problem. But on the cost, these new salt reactors, believe it or not, because they're so simple and so stable, they can uh, c- can be built for one third of the cost of an equivalent sized onshore wind farm, never mind offshore wind farm or solar or whatever else we're going to do. They had produced electricity for around about forty euros per megawatt hour, which is on a par pretty much with coal at the moment.
0: Okay, so um, we've one minute left. I'll let Ushin and Marie just come back on that one. Ushin on the nuclear. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, the technology has changed, the economics have changed. Is it time to get over ourselves?
3: Yeah. So I think Dennis is is uh, he's promoting nuclear energy, which is fair enough. That's his that's his that's his thing, yeah. and the, and he has mentioned that the only problems with nuclear nuclear energy are. Cost, size, uh, meltdowns, explosions and waste. And he's and, provided I, 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 answers and, and to agree, all of those. And I, and I totally agree. And, if, yeah. and, and as he said, if we can solve all those problems, yeah. that's brilliant. You know, So if we can get rid of the, the costs, the explosions, the meltdowns, we, I mean, if we can do all that stuff, then then that's great. And he's, he, he has talked about um, small nuclear reactors, Salt-based. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've mentioned thorium fast breed or whatever. There are all these various technologies that none of which are in commercial use at the moment. So if we, you know, if we if we had uh, one of these future technologies and it was all safe and we figured out a way to deal with waste, yeah, that would be brilliant, right? And okay. I, I would support that.
0: Okay, good. Right. It's on right. the record, Dennis. Okay, Marie, and I'll give you the final word. Um, what do you see as the biggest obstacle to, to nuclear? Uh, when uh, to nuclear and and to the rest of all these great ideas. I think, well, with nuclear, I think, uh, just
2: as has just been said, it's not actually commercially available, the technology that's been discussed at the moment. But we do need people, pioneers out there with all of the technologies, nuclear, solar, whatever it may be, out there pushing the boundaries to see what we can do, ocean, wave, all of these. And we can do the background planning now. So I think think the thing is we need to invest in the education of our kids. We need to invest in our engineering, our science, uh, graduates. We need to get more women into these uh, subjects. And then I think we can make all the breakthroughs that we need to do to solve the problems. We've done a great
0: job to date and we need to keep going. I think that's the message. I think that is an appropriate final word. And we were delighted to have a female contributor um, on this topic today. I think it's the first time we've managed to have that, even though we've discussed this issue before. So that is it for today. Many thanks to my guests, Aidan McKelvey produced. You can listen back to this and all our shows on Newstalk.com and subscribe to the podcast via your regular podcast player. With the week that's in it, with the Kevin Myers controversy, you might be particularly interested in our recent one on the impact of social media on public discourse and a previous programme on the limits of free speech sparked by the Stephen Fry blasphemy incident. They pushed out all the uh, issues relating to this week's discussion on the Kevin Myers article, but there's much more on Newstalk.com. So thank you for listening.